Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gubby Freeman, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is actually off this week. Yep, kind of a bummer. We do not have a UFC event, but that doesn't mean we don't have tons of good content to bring to you. Today, we are all in on the Contender Series. Week 2 just ended, and we are looking forward to future weeks. Weeks 3 and 4, and we've got a fighter who is on both of those cards. First, I'm going to be t- talking to Manuel Gaksha, who is fighting on week four of the Contender Series. He talks a little bit about his time moving throughout Europe and getting ready for this fight. And then later on, I'm going to be talking to Mo Miller, teammate of Stipe Miocic and Alexa Kamer. He's talking about the mental aspect of the game that Stipe Miocic and Alexa Kamer brought him to that kind of, he feels, helped him for this precise moment. And he'll be on week three of the Contender Series. And that's not all for Contender Series information and content. We're also bringing you our countdown of the five most successful Contender Series alumni. And we're going to get to all of that great content for you in just a moment. But first, I have to let you know that we are brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas and browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities if they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week, you can catch my bonus pick for the UFC fight card that weekend. That's right. The only place you can catch my bonus pick. And let me tell you something. They've been hot. I had Molly McCann by decision. I picked for Ramiz Brahimai to win in the first round. That's two out of the last three weeks plus money. I suggest you check it out, but you can only check that out on the Top Turtle MMA page over on Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me now is Manuel Gaja, who fights Chris Duncan at Dana White's Contender Series on September 21st. So, Manuel, I wanted to start by talking about your layoff. It's actually been two and a half years since you stepped into a cage. Is most of that due to the pandemic? Were there some other things that kept you out as well? Give us some insight on what you've been up to. Well, basically, yeah, my last fight was two and a half years ago. But mostly, the, all this time that I was out was due to the pandemic. But uh, all these times, I've been active. So uh, I'm not the same fighter anymore. What, what was my last fight, like two, half, two and a half years ago, I have improved a lot. So I've improved a lot of things on my game. And that's, that's a good thing about it. And of course, there is also a negative side. But I don't think that will affect a lot. The fact that I haven't been in the cage, I haven't stepped in two and a half years. But I don't think that will affect a negative way. Yeah, one, I've, I've heard a lot of fighters say that, that, that they feel like the time out of the cage and, and a lot of them would, would due to the COVID pandemic, but they've, they've all mostly said that they feel like that time away allowed them to hone in on some skills that they usually don't get to do during training camp. Was there an area that you felt like you got particularly better during the pandemic? Yeah, actually, I've improved every, every, uh, every area. I've improved my wrestling, my jiu-jitsu game, my, uh, my striking, my boxing, my Taekwondo as well, my kickboxing. So I'm training Holland basically those times. And I have also uh, 
changed all my training camp. So it's it's a new me, basically. It's a different environment, different, different people, different professionals. So basically, my, my, my game has evolved in an amazing way the, the last four years, actually, because I'm already four years in the Netherlands. So okay. basically, mostly the two and a half years, it was a time that I could like really improve a basic skill, uh, martial arts skills, techniques, etc. Because as you said before, during the training camps, you cannot really improve. You really just want to work hard and to uh, get the best shape, etc. So you mentioned the move to the Netherlands. I, I was curious, what, what sort of prompted your move to the Netherlands? Why did you decide to do that? So uh, it was basically mostly about the MMA. So uh, I was raised in Albania. Uh, I was born and raised in Albania, and then I moved to Greece. And uh, after reaching some levels in Greece, I found out that I need to move out in, in a country that is more advanced about, uh, not only about the martial arts, but uh, about also the, the, the style of living and the level of living. So that's why I decided to move to in the Netherlands where the training camps are better, are more advanced fight, fighters with world class, which compete in UFC, Bellator, etc. So that was the main reason. Well, that seems like it makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm curious, too, if, if you could give us some insight on, on why you eventually turned to MMA, because I know, you know, you got a Taekwondo background. You were an ITF world champion. You know, what made you decide that you wanted to, you know, transform into the game of MMA, where you, you not only can use your Taekwondo, but you also have to work on the grappling side of things as well? So uh, basically, it was in 2014, the moment when. Uh, so I, I was uh, I started with Taekwondo since 2007 when I was nine. So I was always into Taekwondo, martial art, mindset, and culture. I had a very I was in a very traditional martial arts school back in the days when I was doing the Taekwondo ITF. And then in 2014, I reached the highest level that an athlete could reach in that sport, which was the Taek- the World Championship. And uh, there, of course, it's a sport which is being controlled my points, etc. I didn't like that. And uh, I wanted something. So I got back after that. It was, it was a success, 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 but I didn't feel that uh, getting, you know, like getting the benefits out of it. So I was like, if that's the highest level of this sport, then it's not what I really want to do. I want to do something better, something that will make me the really the best fighter in the world or will improve my skills in every in every sector. So that's why I decided to move into MMA. And especially because of, if it's a, it's a sport, which you can decide if you want to win or if you want to lose. So you can just finish your fight. So that's what makes it for me very unique. Yeah. And, and you mentioned too, so, so obviously the Taekwondo background and that you reached the highest level of that sport. And now, now I'm curious, because if you look at your record and you look at the results, there's some submission wins in there, including a Von Flu choke your last time out. So it's not like you're just like a Taekwondo make guy making it in MMA. You're, you're really good in the grappling game too. It was 2014 the first time you started adding those portions of your game, or did you have some grappling background prior? Uh, no, actually, I started in 2012. I started some fighting classes into, into in Greece when I was in Greece in a club there. So I just tried to improve my uh, taekwondo punches, basically. That's why I wanted to train for MMA. And then I met the culture. The trainer was, was very open-minded and uh, told me about the importance of knowing every martial art, the basics, and being able to, to use them in real fighting. And that's what makes a fighter complete. And so since 2012, basically, the idea about MMA, it starts growing on my mind. And then in 2014, when I saw that the Taekwondo is not bringing me what I really want in my life, including money and fame and whatever, I saw that there's a limit into that. And it's not me who can break that limit because that's what industry is about. Then I decided to... Uh, 
to step uh, into mixed martial arts. I love it. Now, I'm curious, you know, you said that you've started in 2012 and, and obviously the submissions on your record are, are much earlier, but was the transition easy for you? Did you find that you took to the grappling arts really well or was it a difficult transition at first being somebody who primarily was from a, a striking martial arts background? Uh, so the transition was quite uh, was quite difficult, uh, not in the very beginning. As the first trainers, they had the mindset of kicking a lot, and uh, which made it for me very easy. And uh, they gave me the concept of you can fight with taekwondo because they were had also background uh, on taekwondo. But later on, after uh, getting to the all the martial arts culture, it started being a bit difficult because my style wasn't always effective. Always to find the, sp the spaces into my striking game to improve them, to add things, to take things off. Because it's a very unique style which always needs to be improved. So you can always be ready from every kind of uh, opponent. Depends on the pressure, etc., etc. So it wasn't really easy. But uh, working with real professionals into grappling, I had an amazing team. Uh, I still have an amazing team right now. Grappling and wrestling as well. Uh, I can say that was a work that I really enjoyed. It wasn't easy, but it was a progress. But I really, really enjoyed it. Well, and it seems to have worked really great. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about this fight coming up, too, because it's an exciting one. You're, you're fighting a guy in Chris Duncan, who is definitely the most experienced guy you've ever fought. He, he fought for Bellator, which is obviously a large promotion, and he fought mostly most of that in Europe. I was wondering, when you heard his name and they offered you this fight on the Contender Series, what were your thoughts of Chris Duncan? Uh, I really didn't think something about it. When I saw that, uh, when they asked me about the name, I just Googled the guy, I saw who he is, and that was it. And I was like, yeah, I want to fight this guy. It doesn't matter, actually, who's going to be there this night. I'm, I'm going to do my work. And, you know, this opportunity finds me on my best uh, moment. I have all the environment, the right environment, the right professionals to make this. So when this opportunity came, I really don't mind because you have been in front of me. The, the goal of mine is to be the best in the world. So it doesn't matter if I'm going to meet, maybe Chris Duncan is one of, the, one of them, but it doesn't matter if I will meet him now or in the future. So I anyway want to be the best. So... All the opponents right now that will come in my way, I feel on my peak. I feel in my best shape ever. So I, I really don't uh, think about Chris. I have watched his fights, of course. I have studied him like every every fighter does. But uh, I'm really not uh, thinking about his experience. Of course, he's experienced it, but there is it's, it's MMA. Everything can happen any moment. So I will I will put my show the show in. That's that's all about me. I will just be this night there. I will do my best of myself, and it is what it is. It's not about Chris Blank and what I'm going to put this night there. Absolutely. And I, I love that mentality. But I do got to ask, so, you know, this this show is unique in that, yes, it is a fight. It is a fight you want to win. But in addition to that, it is also a, an audition for a bigger job to be in the UFC to impress Dana White. Tell us a little bit about why you believe that your style is the right style to impress Dana White and earn yourself a contract on September 21st. Uh, the, the, the thing with my style is not that I'm a striker, it's not that I'm a grappler, it's not that I'm a boxer or a kickboxer. The, the thing with my style, especially right now, is that I'm everything whenever it's needed. So that will make the difference there. And of course, the kicking game is always impressive. But uh, I can I can adapt in every kind of fighting. I have evolved my, my game in a way that I can I can fight in every sector, especially right now. Uh, after these two and a half years, which I got really focused on special uh, uh, disciplines of martial arts, so I'm really looking forward to just to just show to make show time. So it's show time. It's just, that's all. So I will do the, all the best of my martial arts skills. Well, we're looking forward to it. Now, I usually ask my fighters before I let them go if they can give me a prediction. Do you see, have a visual on how you see this fight ending? 
No, I'm just I'm. I have, of course, I have, I have visualized the the, the way of it will end, but I will keep it. I will, I will share the last days this information. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Manuel Gashada. It fights Chris Duncan at Dana White's Contender Series on September 21st. Manuel, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you very much for inviting me, and thanks for the amazing uh, call we had. And uh, looking forward to cooperate again. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Manuel Gaksha. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, Patty the Batty Pimblet. It's the name on everybody's tongue right now. What did you think of his performance on Saturday? Batty alert. Uh, I was impressed. I was impressed. We've been, you know, friend of the show, by the way. He was on our show, I will have you know. Uh, back when he was in Cage Warriors, obviously. And we've heard this name for a long time. A lot of hype around, you know, is he the second coming of Conor McGregor because he's kind of a trash-talking Irishman. He's, he's from England. Same... He's, he's from Liverpool. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. Uh, and he, you know, is uh, he, he has potential, and he has some dynamite in his hands. But uh, will he live up to Conor? No. And... Uh, you know, coming from Cage Warriors, there's that correlation as well. I was impressed to answer your question. Am I ready to buy stock and say he's the next coming? No, not yet. How about you? Yeah, I kind of agree with you. The dude got stung on the feet by Luigi Vendramini, uh, who's now one and three in the UFC. He's got one win. Um, and he, he, like, he not only got stunned by him, but like shaken up and then taken down. Uh, and then managed a nice little comeback, which is nice. But uh, if, if you're going to anoint somebody the next Conor McGregor, you've got to do something a little bit more impressive to an opponent like that, right? Like Conor went out and beast moded Marcus Brimage in his debut. And Marcus Brimage is arguably maybe a little bit better of a name than Luigi Vendramini. So uh, yeah, if, if I'm going to anoint somebody, they, they got to look a little bit more flawless there. And I, I'll say this, I think his offense is elite. He, he's a really good offensive threat in that division. I think he can tag just about anybody. We've seen his submission skills in cage warriors. Those are top notch. I don't know about the defense, though, and that I that is the big piece to me. Is before I'm ready to buy stock in him, I gotta know he can he can defensively fight too. Yep, I think that's all fair, and we will obviously continue to watch the rise or fall of Patty the Batty Pimblet. Now, you mentioned it not being a flawless performance. I'll tell, I'll tell you what is going to be flawless. It's our combat countdown this week, and we're counting down the top five contender series alumni, Dana White's contender series. Uh, and, you know, we'll obviously mix in for people who have maybe appeared very recently a little bit of, you know, potential as well. But more or less, the criteria was who are the five best fighters to come out of the contender series? And I encourage everyone to go look up the alumni. There's a Wikipedia page for it. There is actually... This was not a thin list to draw from. There is some talent that's come through Contender Series. I am a huge fan of Contender Series as a format over, say, the Ultimate Fighter. Um, so this is an exciting combat countdown, Gumby, as all of them are. But this one may be a little extra special because we're talking about prospects, and that's what we do best on this show. So, Gumby, before we get to this combat countdown, does anyone sponsor it? Absolutely. The Combat Countdown is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, 
You can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Get rid of that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and download Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right, I mentioned that this was not a thin list to draw from. We actually had to make some hard cuts here, and we, of course, want to hear your feedback on this list at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. We're accepting both love and hate feedback. Let's start with the honorable mentions because they're pretty fun to talk about, Gumby. And the first one we're going to bring up is 3-0 and since leaving Dana White's Contender Series or going through it or graduating it or getting his win on it. He beat James Wallace in Dana White's Contender Series and has a win over the likes of Jim Miller. And I, of course, am talking about Joe Selecki. Yeah, Joe Selecki was kind of hard to leave out of this list because if we are mixing in a little bit of what their potential is, man, the, the sky seems to be the limit for him. He looked real good against Jim Miller in there, and that is not an easy guy to look real good against. So, yeah, I'm high on Joe Selecki, and it's worth mentioning, too, not that we're going to do 100 honorable mentions. He's not the only guy with three wins and no losses right now coming off the Contender Series. We got Phil Hawes, who's like that, Adrian Yanez, who's like that, Dustin Jacoby is like that. I mean, like, there are a bunch of guys, although Dustin Jacoby has a draw, but there are a bunch of guys who are, like, nipping at the edges of the top 15 but just kind of a little bit out of there. And it's it's surprising because we pretty much had to make a list of almost 100% of people who were in the top 15. So Joe Selecki just barely misses that cut. Uh, we'll move to our other honorable mention, and he's actually coming out of Dana White Contender Series Brazil. And I always love when we get these Brazilian offshoots of any sort of UFC show or if you're a fan of Netflix's Too Hot to Handle reality shows. Uh, and that's what we have here. This is a... Brazilian winner on Dana White's Contender Series, and he's actually been around long enough where he went from mega prospect to, oh man, he's not as good as we thought, and you know he's kind of almost had like an up and down career, and we expect kind of the same going forward, which is why we'll keep him at honorable mention because I don't necessarily want to buy stock in him right now, but I of course am talking about Johnny Walker, uh, not the alcohol, but the fighter. Since leaving Dana White's Contender Series, he has wins over Khalil Roundtree, Misha Serkinov, and Justin Ledette, but then back-to-back losses to Nikita Krylov and Corey Anderson. He is coming off a win, though, over Ryan Spann. Very impressive, a KO. The old Johnny Walker is back, and he is 4-2 and two in the UFC. Let's hear it. Yeah, uh, shout-out to Ryan Spann, too, who actually didn't make our list either and also is right on the edge of that as well. But yeah, Johnny Walker I love because... I mean, obvious knockout power, wins over guys like Ryan Spann, you know, very fun career. But the other problem with him is he's messy. Um, The reason he's not making this list is because he has a way of looking really awful in wins. And uh, it's really unmatched, I think. You know, that, that win over Ryan Spann, it looked like he was going to be knocked out, almost certainly. He wasn't knocked out, and instead he won. So... Uh, yeah, he's got a way of doing that. I say he's probably going to stick around the UFC's top 10 lightweight or light heavyweights for a, quite a while because of that, because he can pretty much get anybody out of there. But I think those flaws are always going to hold him back a little bit. And that's enough to hold him back from our list, too. All right. Well, let's get to the actual list. Those were just the honorable mentions. Uh, and we could have stayed on those guys all day. I mean, you even think about... Uh, Edmund Chabazian, right, was uh, once a very highly ranked prospect, and I still, you could guess, I guess you could say still is, but he's on a two-fight losing streak, right? Uh, Carl Roberson, same thing. Um, So, you know, we had a lot to choose from. Here's the real list. And we're going to start with number five, maybe a controversial pick to some. He's not ranked right now, 
However, he is 6-1 and one in the UFC. We're talking about Sean O'Malley. Yeah, I think it'll be a controversial pick for both reasons. I think some people are going to hit at us and say, why was Sean O'Malley not number one? And some people will hit <laughs> at us and be like, what the hell is he doing on your list? And I think that's probably why he falls in at number five for me is because, yes, the potential is clearly there for Sean O'Malley. He's a beast and the results are there. He's six and one. However, like who's his best win over Eddie Wineland? Uh, and he's got that loss to, to Marlon Vera, which wasn't a bad loss. It was clearly injury based. Um, and heck, he battled through an injury to beat Andre Sukumta. So he's really impressive. His hands are really good. He's knocking people out. That fight with Chris Mutino was just absolutely amazing what he was doing on the feet. I think kind of the sky's the limit for Sean O'Malley. He seems to have a fan base that is um, not even just UFC fans. You know, like he seems to have people who root for him that are maybe not even huge MMA fans. He, he's a totally unique case, but the, the fact of the matter is his hands when he's boxing are brilliant. Um, he's a really, really, really talented striker, and I think that was enough for me to put him over the edge of some of those people who maybe are even ranked already in some harder division or some easier divisions, rather, right? Like Johnny Walker's ranked in light heavyweight, which is a little bit easier. He's unranked at bantamweight, but yeah, I still think he is an absolute beast and is going to do some pretty great things. Well, I'll tell you who's already done some pretty great things. It's another Brazilian Dana White Contender Series show alumni, and it's Andre Muniz. And I just have to say, when we were off air talking about this list, and we had a few people who, like Andre Muniz, are you know 3-0 and in the UFC, and how do you really rank that? We're not sure where they're going to end up. You have to think about who they've beaten. And in the case of Andre Muniz, he beat Jacare Souza. Oh, wait. He didn't just beat Jacare Salza, the ADCC and uh, Jiu-Jitsu World champion. He broke his arm in an arm bar. Jacare Salza broke his arm. So our number four is Andre Muniz. Yeah, it, it's amazing what he's done in his short career, too, because he also submitted Bartosz Fabinski, who, uh, if you would look back at, at his like fight metric stats, he had had some of the most top control time per fight uh, and just got subbed by Andre Muniz, who's a beast on the ground. Also, just shout out to that episode off of season three, which gave us Omar Morales, Herbert Burns, and Andre Muniz. That is a crazy lineup of three guys coming off that show. But yeah, I mean, like you said it all, he is the guy who not only tapped out Jacare, which first of all, whether you think Jacare is washed or not, his jujitsu isn't washed. And Muniz went out there and not only used jujitsu to beat Jacare, but he broke his arm. Uh, And that to me, it's just amazing. It was almost like a changing of the guards of middleweights who are good at jujitsu. Muniz, man, is a force to be reckoned with in that division. I don't think there are going to be a lot of people at middleweight lining up to fight that dude. Um, But I am really excited to see him in there again. Uh, well, I'll tell you whose uh, who's career. I'm excited to see where it goes from here, and I'm talking about our number three pick. Our number three pick started his UFC career, uh, oh, just a very modest four and oh. Uh, no, excuse me, five and oh, with wins over Brian Camozzi, Frank Camacho, Balil Muhammad, who's recently surging, Nico Price, very respectable, and, of course, Mike Perry with the TKO head kick and punches as how he finished him. But then he ran into Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Neil Magny and lost by unanimous decision. So still hasn't been finished in the UFC, but I believe the potential is still there. We obviously love his team, which is Fortis MMA. Uh, we're, of course, talking about Jeff Neal. 
Yeah, Jeff Neal, absolute beast. Uh, I love everything about the way he fights. It was unfortunate to see him kind of get picked apart by two opponents who are just way taller than him, right? Like, that was seemingly the problem with both Wonderboy and uh, Neil Magny is taller opponents with better reach, uh, which gave him a little bit of trouble. But, you know, like you said, he's out of a great camp. I have all the faith in the world that he is going to come back better at that. And I'll just say this, dude, like you said, that huge winning streak, the guy beat Bilal Muhammad, and he didn't just beat Bilal Muhammad. He, like, beat up Bilal Muhammad, dude. That was 30-27, and that's crazy to think about because right now people were talking about Bilal Muhammad fighting Leon Edwards. So that's a high-quality win. It's hard to knock out Nico Price. It's not easy to knock out Mike Perry. He knocked both of those dudes out back-to-back. So, yeah, I'm still high on Jeff Neal despite where he's at. He's only 31. Uh, you know, the dude still isn't really training full-time. He's still working at uh, Texas Roadhouse, I believe, as a server. So, like, once that dude... Great fi- Texas toast there. Great Texas toast yeah, there. Yeah, once that dude finally quits uh, Texas Roadhouse and starts training uh, all the time, which, granted, I'm sure he's still training a lot. Uh, man, who, who knows? Maybe he gets even better. Well, I'll tell you who else we think is going to get even better, and that's our number two pick, who also started uh, like a house on fire, 4-0 in the UFC after leaving Dana White's Contender Series, uh, wins over Gabriel Benitez, Andre Feely, uh, Shaman Moraes, but then ran into Arnold Allen uh, this past April and lost via unanimous decision. So he's 4-1 in the UFC, but still extremely high on him. It's Sadiq Youssef. Yeah, I'm extremely high on Sadiq Youssef, too. Look, one of the things about Sadiq Youssef that's just so fun is, even in that fight with Arnold Allen, he is so game when it comes to the stand-up game, right? Like, he's really good at stuffing takedowns, as we saw fighting Andre Feely. He's got quick hands. He showed a little bit of power against Benitez and against Suman Mokhtarian. Um, Heck, he showed a lot of power in that Mike Davis fight on the Contender Series. And even if you go back before that, he knocked out a super prospect in Dylan Took back in Brave. So this is a guy who's put a lot of really great names on his resume as well. Shaman Marias, man, dude, that is a, a tough name to beat as well. So he's going up and up in this division. And I think Arnold Allen is criminally underrated. So, you know, a decision loss to him and a close one to that is certainly nothing to completely get off the Sadiq Yusuf hype train on. Well, I'll tell you what else, and this is a tough list to put together because you're dealing with guys with short careers, and like we said, we have to factor in potential, um, but you also want to you know, give credit to what they've accomplished to this point, and here we have a Dana White Contender Series, our number one pick, Contender Series alumni, who fought for the title. He fought for the Flyweight Championship, lost to Devison Figueredo. His only other loss came to Joseph Benavidez via TKO back in 2018. And Benavidez, you know, kind of like the de facto ghost champion of that division, the gatekeeper extraordinaire. So when your only two losses are to the very tippy top of the division, champion and almost champion, like, you know, Joseph Benavidez challenged for the title 18 times, um, we have to give him credit where credit's due. And the wins were coming. He has two three-fight win streaks in the UFC, broken up by Joseph Benavidez and then broken up by Devison Figueredo. Uh, we think another three-fight and beyond win streak is possible for him, so we're going with Alex Perez for number one. Yeah, Alex Perez is by far, to me, the number one in here. I actually think there's some pretty decent distance between him and other people because – I'm not going to lie, when he fought Davison Figueredo, I picked him to win. And yeah, it wind up being the wrong choice because he did get submitted in under two minutes. But he's also a guy who just has like really good wrestling. And I think something like that can be tricky for somebody like 
Brandon Moreno, for somebody like Davis and Figueredo, for somebody like Alexandre Pantoja, who are, you know, the three top guys in the division right now. And in fact, like, you know, you go back to that loss to Joseph Benavidez, there's a pretty clear clash of heads in that fight that that wobbles Alex Perez, too. Who knows? We might be talking about him only being on a, you know, with one loss in his whole career and now being in a title fight to Davis and Figueredo. Leg kicked Hussier for Miga, which is crazy. I mean, he arm triangle choked a wrestler in Jordan Espinoza. The guy has just had a really, really, truly amazing career already. And, you know, he's he's still not 30 years old yet. I, I totally think there's another run in him here. You know, he shores up a couple of things, picks up. I mean, he's fighting Matt Schnell in December. If he picks up a win against Matt Schnell, I mean, we're probably a fight or two away from seeing him right in that mix again. Exactly. And that's why we're pretty confident in making him number one. But we definitely want to hear from you. Who should we have made number one if you don't think it was Alex Perez? Do not tweet at us if you think it should be Sean O'Malley. Just kidding. You can. (laughs) But we'll roast you accordingly. At Top Turtle MMA is where we do our interacting. Also on the Instagram under the same name, at Top Turtle MMA. We are accepting both love and hate feedback. As mentioned, Gumby, this train is moving down the tracks. Where should we go next? Well, we're going to transition now to even more Contender Series content. That's right. We're giving you more of it. We are going to interview now Mo Miller, who is fighting on the Contender Series coming up. He talks about that fight as well as the advice he gets from Stipe Miocic and Alexa Kamer each and every day in the gym. And we're going to transition to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Mo Miller, who fights Brandon Lewis at Dana White's Contender Series on September 14th. So, Mo, I actually, before we get started talking about that fight, I do want to talk about your last fight, because it was kind of all over the internet right after it happened, a viral slam knockout, and and you kind of ragdolled the guy before you finally put him out. Were were people blowing up your social media with that that slam? Were people blowing you up on, uh, I mean, just your phone and in person? What was it like having that moment? Uh, yeah, a lot of people uh, contacted me after that uh, after that slam, uh, just for the fact that it did go viral. Um, I gained a lot of followers from that, uh, and a lot of fans. So I think it it helped uh, put more eyes on me moving forward. Well, and that's what I was going to ask, too. Like, you know, obviously, you're only five fights into your pro career. You did have a long amateur career as well, but only five fights into your pro career. Did you think such a big opportunity was going to come this early in your career? Uh, Yeah, because to me, it is not early. <laughs> like you said, uh, I had a long amateur career, and I also uh, had five years of college wrestling so i don't think it uh i think it came i think it came right on time the opportunity i'll say that well that's good to hear too now i want to ask a little bit about the the people you train with and the influence they've had on your career because you know you you work you work at a strong style and obviously there are some very notable names out of there there's steve miocic you know jessica i used to work out of there alexa kamer works out of there I'm wondering if you could just mm-hmm. comment a little bit about sort of the influence they've had on you, either in the cage or even mentally as as it comes to the MMA game. Uh, yeah, all three of those uh, guys and girls, they uh, all helped me at one point uh, in my career or are continuing to help me. When Jessica was here, she uh, she offered a lot of help to me. I was close to her size. 
so I would train with her a lot. Uh, Stipe and Lexi, they're a little bigger, but on the mental side, Lexi is Alexa. <laughs> That's what we call them. Uh, they're a little bigger, so they help me on the mental side more so. Um, since they've been on the level I'm trying to get at, they give me a lot of advice of how I should be training and uh, what to expect coming up. Well, and if you don't mind sharing too, you know, is is there a particular piece of information that either of those two have given you about what to expect from this contender series bout that you found particularly helpful as you get ready? Uh, they pretty much is just more so, uh, just continue to be me. You know what I mean? Like I, I fought and wrestled on uh bigger stages, so. I know how to perform. Just continue to be me and don't think uh, don't think too much about it because it's just another fight. So I think that piece of advice, uh, just keeping me level-headed and just understand I don't need much more entering enter this fight than what I already have. Well, I, I love that advice. Now, let's talk a little bit about this fight because you're fighting Brandon Lewis, who's, like you, he's 5-0. and Like you, he's kind of got a long amateur career. When, when they brought you his name and you looked him up a little bit, what, what were your first thoughts on Brandon Lewis? Uh, I kind of, I just thought that he was a tough fighter, um, undefeated tough fighter uh, that likes to fight. I don't, I didn't really uh, pay too much attention to him when I first heard his name until we start getting deeper in the camp. Then I started really looking him up and, uh, yeah, my thoughts pretty much haven't changed. He's he's a tough fighter who comes forward. Uh, he he feel like he's the best. <laughs> so uh, I I feel like we're in the same position. Both undefeated, both got tested at this point in our careers. And uh, but I do think I'll be the hardest fight he had. Well, and you said he's the kind of guy who likes to come forward, likes to get into people's face, and I've noticed that too in watching him a little bit here and there. Is that the type of fighter you prefer to fight? Do you like to fight guys who bring the action versus maybe wait back a little bit and are a little bit more technical? Do you like them to try to, you know, be the aggressor? Uh, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, if they do uh, come forward pretty quick, then the fight just gets started quicker. <laughs> so it doesn't, it doesn't matter if they wait or if they come forward because uh, I like to think I – I have a pretty high IQ in MMA, so I'll be be able to uh, understand what he's uh, what he's bringing and know how to solve it when he, when we get in there. Absolutely. Now you mentioned in there that some of your best advice from Steve Day and Lexi, as you you call them, some of their best advice was mm -hmm. just to go be yourself and to do what you do. And like you just said about Brandon Lewis. You feel like as long as you're doing your game and you're using your fight IQ, you should have no problem. But my other question about that is that if you do follow your style and you do what you do, what about you is going to wow Dana White on September 14th enough to get the contract? Uh, he'll he'll see my uh, aggression and he'll see. Uh, I think he will. I think if he knows fighting, he'll see what type of fighter I am. <laughs> because uh, all my fights are pretty much entertaining or have some type of entertainment to it. Uh, a lot of people like watching me fight. So I don't 
that's why I say I try not to think about uh the entertainment part because naturally my fights are entertainment just by how I fight. So I think uh, he like my aggression, I think fighting and the moves I can hit. Like I I pre- I think I got a wide range of uh of attacks that I can do in a cage. For sure, for sure. Now I I want to end with this question here because obviously You've given us a pretty good glimpse into how you feel going into this fight. But I want to know something else about you. You know, I've seen the nickname The Mo Show or Mo Show. Can you tell me a little <laughs> bit about where that nickname comes from? <laughs> All right. So Mo Show is uh, way back in the amateur days. I had a it was for my first fight. Me and a group of friends were uh, preparing for my first fight. And it was... um. I listed names on the card. We seen the card came out, and uh, and my friend was like, "So and so is fighting. So and so is fighting on this card." And then I really, I said, I just came out of nowhere and said, "I didn't, I didn't care. <laughs> this show is all about me. You know what I mean? So it's the most show." And we kind of, kind of ran with it. Uh, I like to say it because uh, it helps put me in a mindset that uh, no matter who else is on the card or who the cameras are there to see and all the fans are there to see when I uh, get in the arena on fight night that the show is all about me and everybody came to see me. So I like to put that in my mind and uh, I think that helps me uh, perform a little better, get get a little alter ego. Well, I love that. And the next rendition of the Mo Show is, of course, on September 14th at Dana White Contender Series. Once again, fans, this was Mo Miller, who fights Brandon Lewis on that card. Mo, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Appreciate everything, man. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in yet again. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank Maroon Social and Better Than Vegas, our sponsors, for helping us keep the lights on. Remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. You can see cool episode graphics as well as all kinds of fun commentary in those two spots. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland. He... Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We will catch you then.